This is the Black Creative Handbook with your host Cassandra Lauren Gordon. This podcast will help to inspire, motivate and give that blueprint, the manual for success for people in the creative businesses, for people from the African and Black diaspora to help us just move along, get that bag, and no more starving artist syndrome. No, out the door. Co-work with us. Be with us and be successful and get the gems. You might have heard in the podcast or you're going to hear it soon that this was called the Creative For You podcast. Don't worry about that. It's Creative For You. Let's be successful and be positive. My name is Cassandra Lauren Gordon. I am the host of the Black Creative Handbook Podcast. And I am here with... Marion Bashuran, founder of the Black Bridge Bloggers Network. Okay, so I'm going to read your lovely bio and then you can tell me more about you. So you are the founder of the Black British Bloggers Network, Marion. A non-profit organisation committed to providing community and opportunity for Black British online content creators. Yes. Mariam started the network as a means to, to connect with her peers and it has since grown into a resource for passionate creatives where they can access education materials, attend events and find brand collaboration opportunities. Sorry, I'm just getting it out of my throat. <laughs> <coughs> I just think it's really important. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, so BBB has been around since like 2015. I did actually start as a Facebook group. And the whole idea of it initially was to connect with bloggers because I would go to blogging events and I was, I'd been a blogger for about four years at that point. And essentially I would go to these events and there would be no one else like me. I'd go to um, events where you meant to connect with brands and there'd be like skincare, beauty brands that had nothing for black people. And it got to a point where I felt like I didn't really know the community. And at the time I was creating um, content on African fashion in diaspora. And I was working with brands who also had the same problem of like, we'd want to work with content creators, we want to work with bloggers, and we don't know how to find them. So I just thought, let me just start a Facebook group, see what happens. And the reception was really good. And at the time, there were a lot of Facebook groups for Black content creators, but they tended to be predominantly um, African-American, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But when it comes to things like opportunities or like events, most of them were in the US. So you kind of felt like you couldn't really fully take part in that space. So I kind of wanted to create a space where Black British content creators could feel like they were the centre of attention, to feel like this is a place which is for you, targeting your needs. And it sort of started from there and kind of snowboard into what it is now. So that's sort of BBB in a nutshell, plus a bit of origin story. Okay, okay. So you're trying to say that there was like, I can't remember, missing, there was something, I want to say gap in the market, but something was missing. Yes, yes. I would say there was this feeling of, how come every other, how come there's no space for us more than anything else? It was like, how come there's no space where we can gather? How come there's no space where we can access opportunities? How come there's no space that's dedicated to telling our stories? Because for me, when I started connecting Black British content creators, it was great to kind of be like, you know when you get the references? When someone's like, do a post about Con, we're like, yes, I've been to Carnival. I know what you're talking about. And it was very specific to my experience. So I really, really enjoyed that part of it. To be honest, it was mostly because I just want to connect with people, really. So... Okay, understood. So before we get into more about the Black British bloggers, we want to know about you, Mariam. So I always ask people a few, you know, 
get to know you questions before we get deep into your creativity and organization that you represent. So the first question is, what did you eat for breakfast? Today? So I know it's not the healthiest thing to do, but I don't normally eat breakfast. Um, I know it's terrible. I'm not like a big breakfast person. And also it's like, I start my day a lot later than people assume. So one of the things that you get a lot is like, oh, I start my business, I wake up at six. I'm not that person. I wake up at like 7.30. I do my workout, I relax, and I kind of start checking emails at like nine. But my work doesn't really kick off till about 10 a.m. And I usually work till about 8 p.m. So I kind of have a later schedule than most. But it's one of those things where, you know, every book you read, they're like, I'm up at 5 a.m. So like, I'm not, if I'm up that early, it's not for work reasons. It's, because, it's not like, for fun. It's, it's not, not for, for fun. fun. I'm going to hold it. I'm, I'm catching a flight. That's why I'm up. So, yeah, I don't normally eat breakfast. I'm more of a lunch person. Okay, so what's your first meal then? It's just, it's lunch. And it's usually some sort of big salad with a protein um, or pasta. I'm not fancy. Sounds healthy. Sounds <laughs> healthy. Okay, so without revealing too much about age, if you want to, I just want to ask, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Um, I would say you don't have to try so hard to get people to accept you and to like you. Um, I think for me anyway, like 18 was when I was just trying to like find my path and trying to kind of meet different people. And I came from, so I grew up in like Northwest London and I went to a sixth form that was like in the an opposite side. Like I went with no friends, I went by myself and I went from a predominantly black environment to one that was predominantly white. And so that transition and everything was, I was a real shake up into who I was and trying to figure out and like, to how do I fit in? And how do I navigate this space? So I think 18 year old me, I'd be like, you're fine as you are. You don't have to do all of the things that you're going to do to try and like fit into that space. They can accommodate you in that space. You having, you having to change. So yeah, don't change. Don't change. I'm just reflecting when you was talking about that, about eight year old self trying to put myself in and, I just feel like when I was at 18, there was just a pressure to just get your life sorted. So yeah. I, like, I don't even know anything. You need yeah. to love me. You need to go to uni. You need to do this. You need to do that. This is what you need to do. And I'm just like, and you realize sometimes for me, when you're adult, you don't know anything. You just, you just, you just figure things out without the pressure. Exactly. And I do think I wish I had waited to decide what you need to go to. I think it's a lot of pressure to put an 80 or make such a huge financial decision as well because like it's expensive so why am I making such a grand decision when I'm 18 years old and I don't really know anything or even before you're 18 because when you start choosing your GCSEs um mm-hmm. if you're from the US like our um I don't know your SATs when you start making these big subjects so you can get to, to into university mm-hmm. or some vocations they start you when you're 13 14 you've got to think you've got to pick certain subjects and it's just like you know how we'd have time to make mistakes or develop is just like pick them and that sets the course for the rest of your life. And you, you know, in this 21st century, 2021, the people just change careers a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're gonna, you know, even doctors or people in very established um, professions, they change their careers when they want to, or you know, expand to social media, the blogging, the use of media. I remember at school when people didn't even want to do media, like, why are you doing media for? Exactly, yeah. And I'm like. 
I'll be rich now if I'm in media or, or tech, you know. But they've pushed me into other things, more traditional stuff, which I didn't really want to do. I remember I wanted to, this is not about me, but I remember I wanted to do something creative and they just, the, my, my head of sixth form was just like, nope, you're doing this. And I'm just like, I was like, yeah, I didn't have a, I didn't have a backbone, but it's, thank you for sharing that. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. So you said at the beginning you want to do black British bloggers to do this as a community platform. Why is it a non-profit? Explain the non-profitness because I don't really get much non-profit people in this on this platform. Yeah. So the non-profit decision actually came later. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where like I did really deliberate on if I want to be a non-profit or not. And the reason I decided to go down non-profit route is just because it suited what I was trying to create. And essentially because at first I was, it was sort of a one-man show. So I was pretty much self-employed for a long time. And so that's kind of how I ran the business. And what I realized was that a lot of the things I was being asked to do as a for-profit business did not align with the goals of the platform. And I just didn't think that was something I wanted to keep doing. I didn't want to keep going down this path. I was going to have to kind of focus more on the brand perspective because that's where the money comes from. And it was kind of, it just didn't align with what I wanted to do. So when I made decisions to go non-profit, I think I did so like end of 2019. Um, I said, okay, this is what I'd rather do. I'd rather seek funding and, you know, work with volunteers and just focus purely on the community side of things. And I outsourced the brand things now. So we kind of partnered with PRs and stuff. So they kind of handled that side of things. So essentially now it's very much like community funded. We did, we do get some funding on occasion. So we're very lucky to get some funding from a big company last year. So basically I just think ideology wise, if that makes sense. Um, I think it does fit in terms of what I'm trying to build with BBB. It's just like a community-funded thing where we all support one another and we don't have to worry about, like, trying to churn income to keep this thing going. Whereas, it's a bit like, if you all support it, it'll, it will sustain and we'll be fine. Amazing. Amazing. Because, yeah, I'm just so glad that it's so sustainable, you know, after all these years and you, you provide a lot of value and people really then, you know, look up to you and what you produce as a resource and really help creatives. So, yeah, I, I really just really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I was you. While you were saying that, I just remembered what you were saying off camera or off podcast about just made a big segue here to, to the listeners and, and, and the audience to Korean dramas. I just think we're just going to slip <laughs> that in early before we get into talking about how we're helping black creatives. Tell me about these Korean dramas and how you just love them. So, yeah, so basically um, I have a friend who basically recommended me because I was getting bored. You know, you like you've watched everything on Netflix and I was getting bored and I had a friend who was like, listen, you have to watch these Korean dramas and you have to, you're going to really enjoy them. I was all right, I'll give it a go. And it kind of appeals to the part of me that just loves things that I have to do a bit more research into. So first of all, it's a foreign language, so I have to watch it with subtitles, which means I can't be on my phone at the same time. So it's nice to be fully immersed in something. And obviously, it's a different culture. So it's, everything feels brand new. It's a new type of storytelling. And I studied English, so I'm kind of, kind of obsessed with like nuances of language and stuff and like reading more into things. So being able to kind of research things about another culture to kind of get more understanding, it really fits into my wheelhouse of hobby of just like diving more into this specific thing and once you get into them, you kind of, you just get sucked in. Because I think um, Squid Game is a Korean drama, which I oh think... Oh my God, I need to get on it. I know. <laughs> so I yeah. I need to get on it ASAP. 
it's it's like it's become this like huge big thing. So it's one of those things where like when the trailer came out for like a while back, we all just thought of it as like, oh, it's just another Korean drama, we'll just watch it. And then it kind of blew up and it's like, oh yes, now I can recommend to people because that's a point of reference. But um yeah, so it's just it's just a thing I enjoy. I find a lot of peace in it and enjoyment. Understandable, understandable. Okay, I just had some mind in my head, like, why does it blow up? Because usually black creators, whenever black creators like something, the trendsetters. Yes. Anyway, that's another podcast. That's another situation. Okay, so we're talking about you supporting black creators or, you know, black um, black bloggers. So what does blogging mean in 2021? Because I get confused when it was in 2020 and 2015. What does yeah. black... What 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 what's a blogger now? So right now, so we I do try and keep it as blogging is still blogging. Blogging is still in the original iteration of creating content on a website that you own for the purpose of in like educating, entertaining, or informing. That's why I think of it as a blog. But I think in 2021, most of us are content creators. Most of us exist on multiple platforms. So I think in 2021 being a content creator is kind of the space you need to be in because you kind of have to catch your audience wherever they're at I do think that when as you kind of develop your platform I think when you're new it's good to kind of try lots of different things and you know spread spread your wings try TikTok try Twitter try Instagram whatever but as you become more comfortable and find where your audience really lives it's cool to narrow down so I do that's the thing I hear a lot is that oh my god I just I have to post on Twitter I have to post on YouTube I'm trying to do so much it's like you don't have to find where your audience loves to live and that make that your main platform. Maybe have a secondary platform where you do drop a bit of content here and there, but don't feel pressured to be everywhere. But I do think, yep, in 2021, blogs still are a thing. If you have a website and create content, you know, be in that space. But I do think you do have to kind of expand a little bit and play around on social media as well. Explain the blog because I put up and put my hand up. I put a little I put on blogs but no one's checking for it okay so what but people still make money on blogs though real long-form blog so can you explain why long-form long-form blogs like on a website right 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 are still important in 2021 so the reason blogs are still important because blogs are evergreen content Mm -hmm. you own your blog and that blog post isn't going anywhere. If you look at social media, everything has a lifespan. So everyone knows, like, the one about Twitter is, like, every tweet has a lifespan of 14 minutes. A blog has a lifespan of years and years and years and years. And that's why there's so much value in it. That's why. And also another thing is there's a misconception that people think brands don't value blogs. They really do. They want you to attach it to your social media because they know that, like, Instagram is where, you know, you get that interaction. But that blog that lives on the internet that people can search on Google has so much value. I did, way back when my blog was still active, I did a review of a salon in Brixton. That blog would get, I would say, 300 views a month consistently for two years. And it was like, and that was when the it was first published, it got like thousands of views and it just kept going. Because when you Googled that um, salon, I was on the first page. So the key to kind of having a successful blog that draws lots of traffic is you have to know your SEO. You have to know your keywords. You have to know how you're going to get yourself on Google search. That's kind of how you drive. Because I think 
one of the misconceptions people will focus on promoting their blogs on social media which yes you should do but you should try and create content that's googleable because when people google things they look for blogs and also pinterest as well pinterest is necessary for blogs it's like it's where people go to search for how to do things especially if you're like in fashion and beauty space so yeah i do think there's still a lot of value in blogs and also bloggers tend to be quieter than like influencers so people tend to kind of focus on the influencer side of things but I know a lot of successful bloggers who are doing their own thing quietly and just kind of creating content and driving traffic and earning money from advertising and also secondary income like you know running their own courses creating like membership only parts of their website doing a patreon that kind of thing I hear you I hear you okay because I'm, I'm I'm revamping my content strategy. So I'm thinking blogs are definitely it for SEO because I'm a jeweler. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do want to like create long form content. So I didn't know where. So I was just thinking, do I do it on my normal Shopify blog or do I use Medium as well? Do you, what, what's your thoughts about Medium? Um, I think Medium is good. And especially because it's a kind of a trusted platform. Everyone sort of, when you see a Medium market, they think, oh, it's a real story. So I do think it has got that appeal to it. And because it's not attached to a platform that's known for like retail, people might take it less as like an advertorial piece and more as like a story that stands on its own. So I would say Medium is a good choice. I hear you. Thank you for that, sharing that. Okay. So... I don't say barriers, I hate using barriers, but is there any nuances or themes you see within Black British bloggers? Any, any Anything that stands out? I don't want to put anything negative, I don't want to put anything positive, but I just want to act you neutrally. What have you noticed Or the themes, anything like a thematic review? What mm. do you notice with Black British bloggers or Black British creators? Um, I like in terms of like the type of content they're putting out or what they're putting out, what they type to do. Cause I'm trying to be neutral because I, because I really want to heart to heart say, what are the challenges? Uh, I don't want to be like negative. So I was just like, maybe I should just say like, do you see any challenges then? Let's just make it easier. Um, I would say the challenge. And I think it is actually the same for a lot of content creators. But I do, well, of course, I'm in the Blackbridge space is what I see most often is consistency. I think when you first start, you've got all this energy and all this vim. So you've kind of hit the ground running and really hard to, I've known bloggers who start off and they're posting like blog posts every day. They're engaging every day. And this is like, and, yeah. And it's just like, it's one of those things where I've seen this pattern a few times. So they start off like really strong every day, every day. And then they get to six months and they're kind of like, oh, we're taking a break, which is, you know, good. Take all this from your content. But then they either don't return or they return at a significantly slower pace, which, and then it's not even like a slower pace as in like, oh, we're now one post a week, which is fine. But it's like one post a week, then you don't hear anything for two weeks and then they come up again. And then, and we've all, I struggle with consistency. We all do it. But I think what tends to happen is, in, especially in that first year or two, you kind of have to get into your rhythm so your audience gets into a rhythm. So they kind of get used to when you're around. Like there's a blogger I follow who I really enjoy their content and they post once a month roughly, but I wait for it because I know that without once a month without fail, I'm going to get a really beautifully written piece of content and they're going to tweet it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to love it. And if you can get yourself into a rhythm, 
and don't put pressure on yourself to do what other people are doing so like everyone knows the Instagram thing is like you know post once a day and that's kind of like good Instagram behavior but if that doesn't work for you find your own schedule people will get used to it you kind of have to if you let your audience know when you're around they will turn up for when you're around so I do think consistency is a thing but to say like what makes it specific to the black experience in my opinion is that we we may not get opportunities as quickly as our Caucasian counterparts so what happens is people leave the industry they're just like well it's not for me I haven't achieved the level of success I wanted by this time so it's not for me so they leave so I've seen amazing content creators just stop creating content and I can understand why if you're putting that much effort in you want to see results so I think that is where race plays into it because they're just not being afforded opportunities where someone else who wasn't black would probably have gotten an opportunity Get more specific because I don't want people to say, well, they didn't put work into it, meritocracy. Can you explain the nuances? Um, ugh, let me see if I can put a good example about using memes. Um, so let's say you have an, someone on Instagram with a thousand followers putting out content regularly, but for instance, their content is specific to the black experience. So what happens is if they had done something that was just like general, not specific, they may be getting 100, 200 likes per, per post. Because they've targeted a black, a black specific black, a black specific audience, what happens is that there's this thing that I've noticed that happens all the time where people go, that's not for me, and they shut off. And they go, they just turn their back on it, and it doesn't matter if the content is relatable. It's almost, I think there's this weird idea that basically white people can't relate to black people whereas black people it flows it flows this way so black people we, we're used to white content so we watch whatever we put our experiences into it and take what we can from it whereas it doesn't flow the other way so what happens is that someone who does who is basically black to black on the internet may not get the same growth and brands may look at them and go mm, that seems politically sensitive even though they're just being black on the internet so you can see how like those limitations over time means that they're not going to have the same level of growth and may not get the same opportunities. And that is where like prejudice comes from and that those inconsistencies. And to be fair, like I can, I don't have like data in front of me, but this is just what I've seen as I've been doing this for like six years now. And you can see in terms, but you do have your anomalies, like people who have done really well while being like black on the internet and doing amazing. So if you look at people like culture, who just are amazing and they put their culture at the center of their content and they're doing amazing things. You're talking about the hair, the hair. Yes, the duo, the two girls. So, you know, so so it's one of those things where I don't want to say there's no hope. I don't want people to lose faith and feel like they can't or have to change themselves or anything. Like the industry is changing, people are moving forward. And you do have a whole community of people who are invested in you as well. So... Yes, there are challenges. Yes, you may have to find your own way around the system, but don't feel like there's no hope or there's no option or people don't aren't interested in your content by default. You know, there's there's space for you. Mm, okay, that's deep. That's deep. That, that's very encouraging because when I went to your events a couple of years ago before lockdown, it was just like you said, it takes you, in your opinion, about two years to get your content off the ground to get proper traction and keeping that consistency and I was like if I kept the consistency two years ago when I met you who knows what I'll be doing now so um 
yeah, it's it's just it's just it's just a lot of hard work because when it's you know as a consumer of content, I'm just like, yeah, where's that person? As they said, six o'clock, they're going to bring their content, but there's a lot of work they're putting into you know, it's a lot to make it presentable, to get people to even to click on it. It's just I I I, I respect. That's why now, like, I really like try to comment or interact with the content creator who I really like because I know it helps them. Yeah, it's just really good encouragement because you don't know what going what goes on behind the scenes and how much they work behind the scenes. Yes, there's a, there's a lot of effort that goes into that one post, and like Absolutely. a lot of people don't see that. And that's like one of my biggest pet peeves when people make out like being an influencer or being a content creator is easy, and it's like it's really not. <laughs> there's a lot of effort and work that goes into it, and I do think the one thing that came out of like the pandemic and stuff is because people relied so much on content creators for entertainment and to keep them amused. I have, I do have some small hope that that perception has changed and people are seeing the value behind the people who keep them entertained on the internet. So hopefully things are shifting in a more positive direction. Okay. So talking about lockdown, how, you know, what did you see good things any breakout stars or anything or black british bloggers in this lockdown period yeah so lockdown was difficult i think for everybody and it was like really challenging um but i do think a lot of content creators did sort of rise to the challenge and i think a lot of people saw it as an opportunity i saw a lot of people trying new things and i was really impressed by that because people adapted really quickly um, I saw more people putting out live content. I saw more people doing um, engaging content as well. It's almost like everyone realized that just like people want, because people weren't connecting, people needed to feel that connection. So I saw people doing quizzes. I saw people doing like, you know, get ready with me, just sitting at home, let's watch things together. So I found those things really sort of motivating, especially for me as well, because I'm used to working by myself or working like that not seeing anybody not connecting with anybody especially when you're like in an internet facing industry it was just like it felt more lonely than usual so like for me we actually had an event scheduled for the weekend after lockdown happened so it was just like a horrible feeling of like this one time was supposed to all connect in person didn't get to happen so we switched to digital con like virtual events which was for me very challenging and very new but it was a great opportunity and I've actually learn this is probably a tool that I'll use going forward because it's a great way for people to connect who aren't in London because most of the events we have are in London so instead of having to travel down we can do things virtually so yeah I would say I don't think there were I don't I have a terrible memory but um I can't recollect any standout like breakout stars but I did see a lot of um effort being put in by people to kind of put more content out that usually especially when they were kind of going through it themselves um I think a lot of people took over our Instagram and kind of put out sort of did live versions of their content on our platform to, as a way to showcase themselves so that was also really impressive to so kind of and also a lot of people trying to go live for the first time which is really still scary you know if you've never done it before it's like I'm putting myself out there and there's no you know there's no edit so that was quite nice to see people kind of putting themselves out there in that way understood understood so could you give like three top tips about how to people increase their engagement what is engaged because what I find engaging in my head is amazing but when I put it on social media and I put it on a on a platform it's two different things so what mm. three top tips do, would you encourage people to increase their engagement or engaging or connection with the audiences 
I think when it comes to engagement, especially online, is that you have to still act like you're in person. It's sort of like, if you think about everything like conversation, in real life, you wouldn't walk into a room, shut your business and leave. And I think that's what happens a lot. There's a lot of post and go. So if you post, you have to stay in the room. You have to kind of look at who else is like active online at that time, engage with them. Basically, the more you engage, the more you get back. So if you want, the way I say is like, if you want a hundred comments, you have to be commenting 200 times. If you know what I mean? So, <laughs> well, like, that, yeah, so it's basically, it's not like an exact science, but I'm just trying to give you the amount of energy you have to put in to get back. So if you find that you're not spending that much time on social media yourself, you're not engaging with the platform as much yourself, you will see that will be reflected in the engagements you receive because you have to kind of make that effort. So like number one tip I would say is treat it like a real life conversation. If you if you look at the behavior, how you behave online, put it in a real life context and see if it would actually encourage people to like talk to you in real life. Um, to allocate time just for engagement, as in when, you, when people kind of do their content plans, they kind of create time to actually put out content, but don't create time to kind of engage with their audience. So talk to people, talk to people who follow you, make a consistent effort to be like, okay, I'm going to go to my follower list and I'm going to talk to 10 people on here. And another thing is conversation doesn't have to exist only on the space, in the spaces that you can see. So what you're trying to do primarily is build community. You want to make people feel connected to you and I want to make people feel personable to you. And sometimes that happens in the DMs. So there are a lot of conversations that I have with our platform that happen in the DMs. And that's because some people feel more comfortable asking questions in that space. And you might feel like, oh, it's not kind of giving me the traction I need on my social media. But that person will pay that forward in a different way at another time. So, yeah, I would say focus on community building. So, yeah, community building, engage twice as much as you want to receive and double check that you're actually acting like a human being on social media. Are you actually being social on social, you know? There's a lot of time. So yeah. this is how it is. So to get organic, true, not buying followers and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's putting the time like how you would in real life in relationships. Like you meet yeah. people, you don't expect a lot from people when you meet someone once at an event. It mm-hmm. takes time to build, you know? Yeah. Okay. It's, um, bro, I'm not bro, but I'm just like, sis, I'm, put, I'm trying to put in the work, man. I'm trying to put in the work. And people don't realise it is it is a life thing because I'm trying to just be a content creator. But at the same time, I'm trying to run a business and stuff like that. And I really want to make a difference. So thank you for just telling it how it is. It's not mm-hmm. just you just put something on there and hope, and hope for the best. Yeah. It's about finding that balance. And one thing I will say is that if you find, if you've got a limited amount of time, you have to kind of say, okay, I've only got eight hours in a week to work on this platform. And if you've only got eight hours in a week to work on your platform, dedicating six hours to creating content may not be the best idea, purely because you will not have, the other stuff that you have to do has as much value. So you may have to be like, oh, instead of spending six hours, I'm going to spend two hours. I'm going to create one amazing piece of content. And I'm going to spend the rest of the time focusing on building my audience. And that can change uh, as well. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just break. So I didn't, I wanted just to expand on that. Building your audience. So building your audience, what do you mean? Is it just liking and saying nice comments and DMing? What do you mean? So building your audience is finding your audience where they are. So for instance, you're 
a jewelry designer and your content focuses on that. So let's say you've put out an amazing post on jewelry. What I'll do is if what hashtags have you used in your post? You know, jewelers of Instagram, all of that kind of stuff. I tried them, but they're just too so this is not a one-to-one. But I tried that and people just boring. Like everyone's like two million people do jewelers or independent jewelers. And I feel like with my jewelry, the people who look for me for my jewelry content. Okay. Self-disclosure. Right. So the people who usually interact with me, which I'm trying to change is jeweler so i'm like the jeweler's jeweler so in the industry people contact me and see me as an influencer in the jewelry but a consumer a normal civilian they're like who is this chick she don't have 10 million big diamonds she doesn't do grills who is this chick but i want to go to the consumer and leave the lovely trade and the industry that way because they're not paying for anything (laughs) So when I'm doing like, so a long story short, answer your questions. I do all the pop, I look for the hashtags, like jeweler of Instagram, you know, uh, ring candy. I'm making it up as I go along, um, you know, independent jeweler, designer, earring party, you know, depending on what post it is. Um, but it's just not hitting unless I'm having those big old spikes. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> What might help you, which helped me a lot, is um, sketch out your audience. Like, who are you? Like, make a profile of who you're talking to. Mm. And you're like, who is she? What's her interest? What's she into? And target, not based on what you've posted, but like on what that, that person is. So, for instance, I know that the people who are interested in BBB are going to be like, they're going to care about Black Lives Matter. They're going to care about um, things that are happening currently in London. They're people who go out a lot. They're people who are engaged with the community. They're people who like nonprofits, for instance. They're people who care about causes. So what I might do is I'm like, okay, cool. What's the thing? So okay, classic example is Black Girl Fest. So Black Girl Fest, when it happens, is usually a great time for me to connect with content creators because most of the people who are interested in the type of content I put out will go to the Black Girl Fest. So I sometimes look on the hashtag on Black Girl Fest and see who's engaging with it. And I know that's mm. so you, you kind of try to you're kind of building an idea of who you want. So it's like, what does your idealized customer look like? Like where does she shop? Does she wear braids? Does she kind of, you know, what's her energy like? And you kind of find find where she is on the internet. So like what sort of platforms would she engage with? Like for me, if you know black women who are into like fashion stuff, you might want to go to another fashion influencers page who who looks like someone who would wear your jewelry and look at her like content and look who's commenting on her content. Because chances Mm -hmm. are she's that the people comment on her posts are interested in the same things as her and are probably would be interested in you if they got to know you. So what you might do is engage with those people and be like, okay, cool. Like, you know, and also in a, like, not in a look at my jewelry way, but in a, whatever they comment on, if it relates to you, you kind of enjoy it, then you kind of engage with them in that way. And that will draw them to your platform because they'll come along and say, oh, cool. This looks like my kind of thing. I'm going to hang around. Absolutely. I'm writing these down because I need to do, I'm doing my content strategy as we speak in my, you know, today. So are you saying like, I never thought about that. I never thought about, um, as I get my, 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 my notebook, always have a notebook ready because you never know of the gems of black British um, bloggers. 
Hips, 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 shaky, shaky, shaky. Come, come, come. Ah, here it is. Uh-huh. So I never thought about going on someone else's profile or and look at the comments uh, and look at the people who do the comments. Yeah. I just usually look at the influencer. Yeah, because who you, who what who you want is their audience essentially. So what you're trying to do is connect with those people because you know that you have a commonality. So basically, yeah, it's just trying to find the commonality you have and how if there would be someone who'd be interested in you. And it could be similar businesses, similar content. Like also base it on what you're into as well. Like as a person, like who do you follow who you really enjoy? And because all of that kind of filters into your content subconsciously or not. So you kind of want to connect with people who are kind of similar to you and kind of fit your brand identity, especially if you put a lot of yourself into your brand. So that kind of works as well. Okay, I've got my life together. It's it's a lot of strategizing. It's just not you can't just put you can't just put it's like you can't just put content out there and just hope it just floats into the universe. It's like sometimes like you put my card in the ATM and just hope there's money inside. You can't just do that. It's yeah. very, very strategic. And I didn't realise until, you know, trying to create content how strategic and how much you have to plan. Yes. So I'm a big, big planner. I almost think I pretty plan too much. So I do actually okay. strategies every three months. And I do change things up a lot. And and that's because I, I do feel very lucky in that a lot of my things we do are project-based. So I change strategies to adapt to the project or what my goals are. So I think... Another thing is don't feel fixed, you know, because sometimes you can be like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And if it doesn't matter if it's not working well, I'm on this train, I'm going to just ride it till the end. And it's like, no, you can actually just pause and be like, actually, this isn't working. Let me tweak it. Let me adapt it. But also give your plans time to work as well. So, you know, do let it run for a while. Do try and I try to give everything at least three months before I kind of ditch it, unless I really hate it. Unless I'm just like, this isn't working for me. Like, physically and emotionally so I'm gonna like end it here but aside from that I do try to let things run for a little while and also manage your expectations as well mm-hmm. um, that's yeah. one thing that I, I hear a lot as well it's like I meet a lot of people kind of are really tough on themselves from the outset um and they expect themselves to kind of have big numbers and meet you know create content super quickly and have it all figured out from the jump and it's like no every time you put our content you're going to learn something from it. it's all a creative process it's all process so don't expect to kind of be putting out your best work on the first day. So cut off the But the thing is, right, you have to go hard or go home because when when I started doing my jewellery content, or my jewellery, well, it's more of a sales thing because I do two types of content. I do my jewellery content and I do my black creatives content. If your picture's not banging, if you see one little speck of dust or people will be on you. I remember this weird woman was so rude and she didn't realise she DM'd me. She was supposed to DM, she DM'd another jeweler and she said, I don't understand her. Just, she was just slating my content. I'm just like, and then, eventually, anyway, it's a long story. And I'm just like, rah, I put myself out there trying to be vulnerable, talking about these type of, and she just, I just feel like people say they want you to be vulnerable, but there's a professional type of polished vulnerable um, try. And if you make mistakes with your jewel, I mean, if you make mistakes with some of your, your pictures, some people can be so harsh, you know? Yeah, and that is very, very true. And that's not something that I've not experienced. Like, it's definitely a huge part of it. But then I also think to myself, I'm a fallible human, you know? Like, I'm not here to be perfection. No one is. 
And I can, for me, it's when people, like, I, I'm somehow become some person who's kind of good at taking criticism now because I'm learning this thing as I go. I wasn't, I don't, wasn't born into this business. I don't know. There's a lot of things I'm more than happy to say, I don't know this. If you come to me and say, you've done this wrong, I'm like, cool, how do I do it right? And if you don't know, and I'm going to take criticism board, thank you for it and keep it going. But at the same time, I'm not. it's not going to stop me from taking the risks I need to take to grow my business because how are you supposed to learn if you don't take those risks? If you do what everyone else is doing, how are you supposed to stand out and be unique and be yourself? Because everyone talks about authenticity a lot, but then they don't give the space to be authentic because they're wanting to do things in the same way as everyone else because that's what they're used to. So here's the thing, live your truth, be authentic. And let, when people come and be like, take the criticism and stuff, you go, okay, cool, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but I'm still gonna, I'm gonna take what I need from what you said and I'm still gonna keep going. Because I think if you keep trying to do things like everyone else, you're gonna be unhappy. And if you're gonna be unhappy, it's gonna feed into your content. It's gonna feed into everything you do and you're not gonna wanna do it. So you might as well do things your own way, figure it out as you go, because no one here knows what they're doing. That's the one thing I've learned in my like. I am in my 30s now, is that no one, literally no one knows what they're doing. Everyone's making up as they go along. So let's just, so for me, it's just like, cut me some slack. I'm going to cut myself some slack. I'm going to try my best. And if it doesn't work, I'll pivot. And I'll pivot and pivot until I get it right. Preach, 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 preach. I think I needed that. I needed that. I needed to ask, but you know, growing a thick skin when it comes to content, I, I mean, it's slow, it's thin, it's like a little peel of a of an onion, but I'm I'm getting there. So thank you for that. There's two things I want to ask, or two things. One is um, how do you get those brand deals and partnerships? If you're super new and micro micro, I want to mm. hear about ten thousand followers, five thousand, like micro start from day one. Like, what can we do? And I think the other question before we go was repurposing content. How do we just repurpose content plan? How how can we do that? Um, I will start with the brand question. Um, so with the brand question, I'm, I may say some things that may make a few people unhappy, but this is just based on the experience and what I have seen. So when it comes to building brand relationships, first things first is that you kind of have to, when you first start, if you know that's something you want, prepare for it. Go create your content with that mindset. You know, make let people know your doors are open for business. And the things you can do is like professional content, looking consistent, all the things that are markers of like this person knows what they're doing. So what that means is if when you start out, you want to practice a lot. That's where you kind of want to put a bit more content than usual because you're basically practicing, trying to figure out what you want. And another thing is that when people do work with brands, there's a misconception that you think brands want your content. Your content is a part of it, but the thing they want the most is your audience. So what you have to focus most of all is building your audience. And you have to know your audience really well. So it's not enough to just say, oh, I've got this many followers. We have to say that I've got this many followers who like this, who do this, who shop in this way, because that's what people want. So what brands want is some sort of conversion. They either want you to drive traffic to their website or they want you to boost their reach or they want you to boost their sales. It's one of those two things or either a combination of both. So you have to show you can deliver that. How can you, if you're small, small, how are you supposed to... So that's the thing. So when you're really, really small, that's something that is hard to deliver. 
So it's one of those things where realistically, if you've got under a thousand followers, you're not likely to get a paid brand campaign off the outset. And that's just the reality of the situation. And But if you are have a thousand followers on a minute, and that's on one platform. Um, so if you have like a thousand people on Instagram, then you can start looking. And even then you have to bear in mind that like when a brand has a campaign, they have their own goals and what they want out of it. So what people tend to do is that they might have like, okay, so we're going to work with one huge influencer and then spread it out to some micros and nanos and they kind of split how they're going to reach of the campaign. And if you're on the lower end, you're going to obviously get less and so on on the higher end because like I mentioned before, they aren't paying for the content so much. They're paying for the audience. They want the content, the high quality content, but that has... It doesn't have as much value as the audience, the reach that you have, essentially. Um, and I know it's one of those things where, because our content is precious to us, we want that to be the thing that people love. But unfortunately, that's just not how the business works. So when you're first starting out, and I know it's a thing, like I do say this is a very personal choice and it really, really is up to you how you want to navigate. But I do think that there is something to be said for doing some gifting campaigns, for this so that you can get used to the process so you can understand how it is to work with brands and you can also use them as an example of like this is how this is what I was able to do and also it kind of shows you what you're able to do so when I was blogging um I did a lot of um gifting campaigns which I tied in with affiliate marketing campaigns so I would approach brands and be like hey I'm a new blogger and I do this this and this is what my platform is about and at that point I had quite a bit of content on there so they need the quality of the work I was putting out and I was saying things like okay um would you be interested in giving me a discount code for my audience and an affiliate marketing link um which would be mean that I would earn a commission on any sales I generated and what that experience taught me was okay I know that if I put out a post I can this many people will click on it this many people will buy so I learned and also it was good for me to learn how to encourage people to buy from my blog so it was a learning process I did I think I did about five or six of these where I basically started off and I tried to figure out exactly what I needed to do to encourage sales so by the time my blog wrapped up I'd gotten I knew how to make that happen so when I did my first sort of paid um, relationship with a brand I had data like I came to them with like this is exactly what I feel I can deliver I know that if we do a blog post this is how much I expect sales I expect to achieve and that's because I was focusing on being like more the affiliate marketing kind of side of things and driving sales so it kind of depends on the goals of your platform um so yeah so just to summarize that when you're first starting out be open to the idea of taking some sacrifice to prove your to also just for you to test your platform just test how you can do this um but again not everyone does that some people prefer, like another option is just to focus on growing your platform creating something really solid focus on growing your audience let people so by time so it's not even an option so when people, brands do start coming to you you know they can see it they can see that oh my god this person's got this many followers she her engagement rate is so a good engagement rate for instagram is um five percent so just to make for a bit of realism there. So a lot of people think it's really much higher. It's not. So if you've got a 5% engagement rate, you're, you're already doing quite well. So what you want to do 
is so if a brand can look at your platform and see that you're already delivering these things and got a specific audience, then make sure you have a media kit mm-hmm. and make sure you have um, some rates in mind of how much you would charge. And mm-hmm. the, uh, well, it's not out. We have, we already have some content on this mm-hmm. on like our platform on Patreon about like the steps to take. But we're kind of doing an updated version of that for next year. So look out mm-hmm. for that. Um, so yes so that's kind of if you're kind of working for yourself mm. so one thing that we have with bbb is that we have partnered with fpcoms and we're also partner social disruption and both of those are pr agencies both run by black women who the reason i landed with them is because we've got similar ethos they get it they get what we're doing and they're very much focused on generating opportunities for the community so i would and what we do is basically if you're signed up to our newsletter, you get added to a database and they can contact you directly if you're in line with the campaign. And I kind of pull every all your data and put it into a nice little spreadsheet so they can see everything that they need to see. So there's lots of different platforms that offer something similar. So you can insert yourself into these databases that make it easy for brands to find you for campaigns. I so I hear you. That's, there's, an, uh, there's, there's another side of that as well. So yes, repurposing. So oh yeah, repurposing. Yeah, because I'm just thinking like, how do you do so from your long form, and you just so so. Um, as I mentioned before, I hope I mentioned before, BB is very much a one man band most of the time. Um, so all the content, everything, social media is all managed by me. And, and the business side of things as well. So that's kind of, it's a lot of work. So mm-hmm. I've kind of learned how to repurpose content and sort of manage my own expectations of what I can mm-hmm. do. So with repurposing content, the one thing I always say is if, pick your starting point. So if you're a blogger and you start off with like a blog post, mm-hmm. do yourself the favor of, and don't try and create specific content for each platform. So if you're a blogger who's on Instagram and you're on um, Twitter, quote yourself. So quote yourself and create content from your own quotes. Um, I think the last post I did on DBV Instagram is I screenshot um, engagement that I get from Twitter and I share it to Instagram. All the content that is posted on Instagram auto shares to Twitter. So I'm not creating unique and individual content. All the content is being shared across those platforms. So the blog post I create on Patreon, one post goes stays on Patreon, another post goes to the newsletter, which goes out every week. And so you basically want to create sort of like a a flow, like a flow chart. Is that right? Basically like a final system situation where you have your star content and you pull from that to create all your other content. So you're not creating individual content for each platform. And you can use um, scheduling platforms like Buffer and Hootsuite and Ift to save you time. So create content ahead of time and have it scheduled to go out. Mm-hmm. Like Ift will create what they call triggers, which means that if you post something on one platform, it shares it to everywhere. So I've got one set up so everything that goes posted on Instagram is shared to my Facebook page and my Twitter account, and it works for me. So, and also archive content. So if you create a post, for Black History Month in October of 2019, revisit that post and see if there's anything you can use 
to create new content. Never thought about that because I've got some blog, dusty, dusty blog posts, which I can just yeah. we can Okay. Yeah. I repurpose archive content a lot. So I actually do not post straight to platform. I personally keep all my posts in one document. So I've got a giant uh, Microsoft Office, like Microsoft Word document that has every bit of content I've ever written on BBB. And it's also all the titles are organized in a spreadsheet. So if I have a content idea, because sometimes I think every idea I've got is new, right? So I'm like, oh, I've got this really great idea. So I actually search for it first to make sure I've not written about it before. And then if I have written about it before, I look at that old person thing, how I can um, update it. Because the internet's ever changing, right? So what was relevant in 2019 may need an update for 2021. So I do that a lot. So I look at old posts and redo. And I also do the same thing for social media as well. So I look at like, go right back to the beginning of BBB and say like, okay, cool. I really liked when I did that. I'm going to bring that back. Um, so yeah, so don't, don't be afraid to use yourself as a point of reference is what I'm saying, because you've had a lot of ideas. Um, so, we, and especially if you did them when you first started out, you didn't have the kind of audience you have now. So you can be like, okay, a hundred people saw it last time. Let's bring it back when I have a thousand, you know? Um, so yeah, so don't be afraid to use your old content. Um, I'm, I'm all about that life. Thank you. Because like, I'm sometimes get stumped for ideas and you've got to be creative with, 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 with the creations which you produce. Mm. Okay, we've got some final questions. One is, I see you wearing some lovely hoops. I'm a jeweler, so I have to bring it in. So tell us the story behind your lovely hoops. So with hoops, um, I don't know why, but they just remind me of like being really young. Um, it was like they're my earrings. I've always loved hoops. I've been wearing hoops since I was like little, and I think uh-huh. they were the first earrings I ever bought for myself. Like the first style of earrings I ever bought myself. I think they were heart shaped hoops from Claire's. So um, ever since then, I've kind of had an attachment to like big hoops, big hoop earrings. Um, so yes, that's just me and my hoops. I don't even know where these are from because I just have lots of different hoops that are all slightly similar. They're all thin gold hoops with some sort of etching. Um, but they are my earrings of choice. Okay, thank you very much. And you know, we've come out of these unprecedented well, coming out hopefully of these unprecedented times. So, what has been your light bulb moment, your aha moment over the last kind of eighteen months? Um, I would say my aha moment. Actually, yeah, I'll say it was when I reached out like this chinese company that i read about in like a pdf like a pdf for event people and i was like you know what i want to do a virtual event but i don't want to use zoom because everyone was using zoom and i wanted to do something a bit different and i wanted something that was interactive mm-hmm. and i didn't expect anything of it but end up having this meeting with like someone from china and someone from san francisco and it was like a women-led business and i just felt really empowered by the whole thing and we sort of worked together and that's how we put up together the first virtual event we did and it was great because they were startup they were still trying to work stuff out and I can really appreciate that energy when we're all trying new things and they obviously there are a few mistakes here and there but it was a really nice for me it was a nice experience because it helped me realize that actually sometimes all you have to do is put out your hand and say Mm -hmm. um, you know I'm ready to try something new. Do you want to try something new with me? And yeah. we did. And we did this virtual event. And I was really proud of it because mm-hmm. it was something that basically me five years ago wouldn't have thought to do that. So it helped me feel, see my growth as a person. And also to be able to do something in the middle of a pandemic was really horrible. And, you know, we had so much stuff going on. And to have this kind of moment of like, actually, 
I was able to do something that felt really special and different during this horrible time. So yay. <laughs> so it was kind of like this nice little moment. Well, I'm very glad that you, you know, you reached out, you're fearless and you get all these results. So that's like really amazing. So it's great to hear because sometimes people should I reach out to that person, but I might get rejected and just got, you just got to do it. You yeah. yeah. To do it. You got to have my ovaries and have these big ovaries and just do it since I have them. So yeah, I just, so I get, I get inspired when I hear these type of like stories because it's just like every day when I'm emailing, reaching out, I'm just like, <gasps> I don't want them to say up subscribe. I don't want them to say they don't want to talk to me. But yeah. it, it, it works out and sometimes it doesn't work out. They're just not aligned. So, you know, exactly. rather get a quick no, don't you? Yeah. For me, sometimes sometimes the no's are not now, you know? And ah, not now. I'm writing that down. Not now. That is going to be, that's my light bulb moment. <laughs> not now. It's not now. Because I've had people reach out that I reached out to like years ago who've come back to me now. So there's there's relationships I have now that started years and years and years ago. And it's because I wasn't ready to meet them. I wasn't ready to bring to my... The me I am now can face the challenge. The me I was then wasn't ready. So don't feel like, oh, it's never going to happen. You, honestly, the things that have happened in the space of this six years, I would never have predicted. I have done more things than I thought were possible for myself. So oh, okay. you, you never know. You never know. I'm right. You know, like most of them are a bit quiet. I'm just writing things down on my, on my, sorry if, if you're listening through, through audio, not, not video, but I'm just writing all these gems down because boy, I need this in my life. So thank you. I feel like this is content therapy for me to make sure that I work out all these things. So the last thing what I usually ask people is, because I, you know, subscribe to your Patreon now. <laughs> and I've seen some of your content is really helpful and, and your networks and how you help people have brand op- opportunities, how you help people to figure out their content and the content planning. Um, and it's good to have that community because I feel like I didn't have no one to talk to about it and I get to talk to you and I get to be a part of that community. So what is one of the best things a blogger or a content creator have said about your platform and, and, and how it's helped them? Um, I think it's probably like one of the very, very first comments I had. This was back when we were a Facebook group mostly. And I had a blogger message going, is it all right if I post this? And it was just literally their first blog post. And they asked me for permission to write it. And I was like, oh, no, of course. Like, this is what the platform's for. Please kind of post away. And for me, what was personally quite rewarding is to kind of go from someone who was nervous to post at all someone who went on to post regularly and end up kind of creating multiple platforms and is not active on Instagram and doing amazing and sort of watching that growth for me is like the greatest reward ever like people have said lots of nice things to me before but I don't really retain it so much because again terrible memory but when I see that growth it makes me really happy and especially because with that particular content creator she was going for a really difficult time at home so she was using the content to kind of as a sort of therapy mm. and sort of seeing her kind of use this space to kind of connect with people out of her situation and she ended up leaving that situation so it so for me it shows the power of community it shows the power of a creative outlet it shows that sometimes people dismiss it as just like oh it's just instagram for some people it's a lifeline to other great things like i know people start off with blogs who are now writing books you know who got picked up by a publisher i know someone who's got an award-winning podcast someone who's speaking in parliament like these are amazing things that come from these online spaces so those are the moments that bring me like real joy those are the moments that i feel like gratified in what i'm doing to feel like oh i 
I kind of held someone's hand while they went on to do something great. So, yeah, so those, those are the moments that make me happy. I felt very heartwarming. That's kudos to you because putting out content is not easy. Um, Invo Instagram Live might show a different way, but the hard work of people being a content creator or blogger is just a lot, a lot of different skills, a lot of different creativity. Um, so I really appreciate that. Is there anything I should have asked you which I haven't, which you would like to say or like to? Uh, no, you've you've done an amazing job interviewing me. Like I feel like I got a lot of things to say, a lot of things, and shed some light on like what you really like to create content. So okay. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Thank you. So obviously we're going to put all your details in the show notes, but just in case we, people have different learning styles, neurological kind of ways. So tell us how we can connect with you in real life, online, through Pigeon. I don't know. How can we get to so, you and the Black British bloggers? The Black British blogger in real life, actually. Um, I don't know when this will go out, but I'm, I'm going to be at the UK Black Business Show. So one of the things... That's next I, week. That's next week. So I don't Which know if... Is, oh, oh gosh, might put it out then. Might put it out. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So possibly. So possibly I'll be at UK Black Business Show. We were given this like amazing opportunity to kind of become media partners for the show, which is like a huge honour. So we'll be there. And so that's a great way to connect with people. Where so is it? Where is it though? I'm just I'm, I'm asking for my friend aka me what yes yeah, at the QE11 center I don't know if it's QEI because you know I think it's QEI I center <laughs> I just want to know is it east west London oh, where? you know what is I want all right I'll look on the Patreon I'll look on the yes. Patreon it has all the information there thank you yes so um so in real life I'll be there at the UK Black Business Show but mm-hmm. um, online you can find um, us on social media on instagram it's at black british bloggers on twitter it's at bb underscore bloggers we also have a website www.blackbritishbloggers.com mm-hmm. and if you're interested in supporting the platform you can become our patreon and that's patreon.com slash black british bloggers and on there we've got lots of amazing content for you to engage with and it's you can access it from one pound a month and all the money that comes from a patron just goes towards funding um, the platform and the work that we do. I'm looking at it as we speak. Um, I've realised, depending when we put it out, if I can put it out this week, depending on my lovely schedule. Um, so I'm just looking at something on Instagram just quickly, just to relate to you, Black British. Come on, thing. Here we are. I see the pod. Oops, the podcast of the week. Um, one day ago is Ken. Um, uh, oh, unless I said it wrong, by the fire, yeah, by, by the, the fire. fire. Oh my god, I had it on, 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 on the podcast, and um, she, it's just an amazing podcast. I can't, uh, talking about African or diaspora folk folklore, and really, she does her research and she says it in such a di- di- digestible way, yeah. And it's quite short. You're like, oh, I didn't learn that about this, about mermaids and Ghanaians and da, 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 you know what I mean? And I just feel like I'm on a journey <laughs> yeah. uh, of me looking at my family history and my true, you know, and it's just such a great kind of thing being connected to the African diaspora. So yeah. I really, really value her content. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff I love. It's like, I like the idea of changing this perception of what people, what content is about online. Mm-hmm. So I think someone like Kenne who does by the fireboard is a great example of that because I think sometimes people get caught in the idea that it's all sort of influencing, um, which is great. I do love my influencers, 
but um, I also want to show there's a different side as well. Um, so yeah. Great, wholesome, informative, creative content. Absolutely. So thank you so much. They oh, can feed you in real life, they can feed you on social media and your events and all that kind of stuff. So I really do appreciate you. Thank you. So this is the Black Creative Handbook to be Black Creative and Successful. This is the manual. You all heard it. Please connect with Mariam. Much appreciated. And connect with me through the socials, which is part of the show notes or whatever notes you are. And if you want to buy a bit of jewelry, that'd be great too. Because, you know, we all have to eat. So thank you very much. And we will speak soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Black Creative Handbook. Your handbook for success. The manual. What you need to get there. Keep on working with us. Please share, comment, rate us. Just help us out. We help you. You help us. We're a family. Speak soon next time. Same time next week. Show everybody love. <laughs>